From time to time, the Lord leads me to preach on something different than what I normally have scheduled. I try to be sensitive every time I stand behind this pulpit to know exactly what God would have me to say to his people. It'd be easy just to say, well, I'm going to preach the next thing. But about Thursday afternoon, the Lord was leading me to preach something different than I was planning on preaching. So take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Genesis chapter 12. These are verses we looked at several months ago in Sunday night, Sunday night service. But I want to look at them again. Genesis chapter 12 this morning, starting in verse 1. And as you're turning there, we all know, unless your head's been in the sand for the last week and a half, that our world has changed. And it has changed forever, especially since a week ago Saturday, things in our world have changed. And I want to start out with this statement, and I'll end with this statement. The decisions we make in life determine the direction of our life. The decisions we make in life determine the direction of our life. Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. Where thou makest thee a great nation, I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. Verse 3. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse them that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Notice that little word, all. All. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him. And Lot went with him. And Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son. And all their substance they gathered. And the souls that they had gotten in Haran, they went forth into the land of Canaan, into the into the the land of Canaan they came, and Abram passed through the land unto the place of Shechem, unto the place of Morah, and the Canaanite was there in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar to the Lord who appeared unto him. Father, we thank you for this morning. I pray you bless the word that is, that is preached and also as it is heard. Give us ears to hear, to know your truth, and to understand it. And that once we understand it, by the grace of God, to obey it. Thank you again for this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Abraham, Abram at this time, called out of the land called the Ur of the Chaldees, a pagan area, a false God-worshipping area, is called by God to go down to this place called the Canaan land. Interesting, in verse 3 as I mentioned, he says, God says, I will bless them that bless thee and curse them that curse thee, and all shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Dear friends, that is true today. Not just true in that day, it's true today. We stand with Israel not because of politics, but because of prophecy. Because God himself said, I, these are my people. And because they're God's people, we want to stand with God's people. Always we want to stand with God's people. Now, interesting enough, turn a few pages over to your right. Chapter 15, verse 1. Nine years later, he's 75. Now he's about 84. He'd made 
few mistakes as, as we men sometimes do. And all the ladies said, oh, yeah, I wasn't loud enough, ladies. I wasn't loud enough. You had the opportunity. I opened it wide up for you. Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. And after the thing, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceedingly great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what will thou give me? Seeing I go childless, and the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus. Basically said, Lord, I have, you promised me children. You promised me seed, and all I have is this servant. And he's from Damascus. Verse 3, and Abram said, Behold, unto me that was given no seed. Lo, I am born in my house, and mine is, and is mine heir. Behold, and behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thy own bowels shall be thine heir. He brought him forth abroad and said, Look now towards heaven, and tell the stars, if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted unto him. If I may say, God counted it unto Abraham for righteousness. And he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of the earth of Chaldees to give thee the land to inherit it. So he's 84. Ten years later. Does anybody have struggle waiting on God? You ever, you ever say, Lord, you know, when is the ship going to come in? Well, when, when are you going to cure me of this, this sickness, this ache, this pain, this husband, this wife? When, when, when are you going to help me? When are you going to give me deliverance? When are you going to be there for me? I've been praying for you and begging you and pleading. Now 20 years and nearly have passed. And what does Abram do? Well, look in verse Number two, number one of Genesis chapter 16, page over. Sarai, Abram's wife, bare him no children. And she had a handmaid, an Egyptian whose name was Hagar. Well, he got Hagar from one of the mistakes he made was going down to Egypt in a time of family, famine and brought her back up with them. So she, Sarah has his handmaid. Verse 2, and Sarah said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go into my handmaid, that it may be that I obtain children by her. And what does Abraham do? Abram do. Abram at this time should have said, Sarai, I love you with all my heart. And I would do anything in the world. I would even die for you. But no. I'm not going to disobey God. You see, men and women, we must love God more than our wives, more than our children. For Jesus said, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This was not the time for Abraham to say, okay. I don't see a whole lot of argument. I don't hear about, well, can we pray about this for three days? Can we fast? He must have been a Baptist. No. No. He didn't fast. Don't hear any fasting. Don't hear about any praying. The Bible says, and Abel hearkened to the voice of Sarah. Now, that's pretty quick. Verse 3. And Abram, Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid of the Egyptian. Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan and gave to her her husband, Abram, his wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived her mistress, 
which is Sarai, was despised in her eyes. Duh! Hey, Sarah, was this was your plan, right? Maybe she didn't think this was all going to work. You know, maybe it's maybe she actually. But let's try something. She tr she tried Plan B, and Plan B worked. But it didn't. It didn't come out the way she thought it would come out. Sarah said to Abram, "Be wrong, my wrong be upon thee. I've given my maid to thy bosom." When she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes, and Lord judge between me and thee. But Abram said unto Sarah, Behold, my maid is in thy hand to do as her as it pleaseth. And Sarah dwelt harshly, heartily with her, and she fled from her face. And the angel of the Lord found her by the fountain of water, in the wilderness by the fountain of the way of shore. And he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, which comest thou, whither thou go? And she said, I flee from the face of my mistress, Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Return to thy mistress, submit thyself under her hands. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly, and it shall not be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Behold, thou art with child, and, I, and thou shalt bear a son, and shalt call his name Ishmael, because the Lord hath heard thy affliction. Listen to verse 12. And he will be a wild man. His hand will be against every man, and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. Who is Ishmael's descendants? The same folks that Israel are fighting right now. Now think about it. Here's this man, 75 years old, called. Nearly 20 years, he's waiting for God's promise. God, you said you'd give me a seat. They'll be numbered as, as the stars, as the sand of the sea. I haven't, the promise has not been fulfilled. In a time of testing, a time of trouble, Sarah suggests a bad decision, and Abram does it. I started out by saying the decisions we make to determine the direction of our life. Abram made a bad decision, and that decision that he made under pressure, in a time of weakness, the spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak, the consequences of it, we see on the headlines right now. Fourteen years later, Genesis chapter 17, verse 1, And Abram was 99 years old, and the Lord appeared unto Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God, walk before me, and thou wilt be perfect. I will make my covenant between me and thee, and will multiply thy seed exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, For as for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thou shalt be called Abraham. For a father of nations have I made thee, and I will make thee exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. One year later, look at chapter 21 and verse 1. A few pages over. Chapter 21 and verse 1. And the covenant that was given that Abraham went into with the Lord was called the Abrahamic covenant. Sub-covenants were conditional. This was an unconditional covenant made between Abraham and God himself. But Genesis chapter 21 and verse 1, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. The Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son which was born to him Sarah bare to him Isaac. 
And Isaac's name means laughter. Many years later, in the rule of Solomon, about 930 B.C., 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 1, if you want to turn there or just listen. 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 1. God's kingdom had been established in Israel. There are many times of trouble, of course, through Joshua, as we started listening, reading in, uh, this morning in Sunday school, then ultimately Moses, uh, uh, Moses, then Joshua, then the judges, the time of every man did that which was right in their own eyes. Then the people of Israel wanted to set up their king. The first king, of course, was named Saul. But the second king is the one we think about the second, probably the most known king in Israel by the name of David. David ultimately would have a son by the name of Solomon with Bathsheba. And, of course, Solomon was, was asked one night in a dream, well, what, what would you like to have? Now, imagine God coming to you one night in a vision and said, what would you like? What would you say? Harley Davidson, fully loaded, no miles, blue and black and... Uh, no, I shouldn't say that. What would you ask? What would Solomon ask? More money? No. More things? More No. He asked for an understanding heart. He said, I'm like a child. I don't know, I don't know my right from my left. I need an understanding heart like my father David. He humbled himself. And God, because he asked, he, he said, gave an answer in humility, he said, I'm not going to just give you a, uh, an understanding heart to, to have wisdom to lead God's people. I'm going to multiply you uh, land and, and, and stuff and things. I'm going to bless you. And, and God greatly did, if you read 1 Kings, 2 Kings, what God did in the life of Solomon. But Solomon got, to the, got towards the end of his life, and in 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 1, the Bible says, but King, but King Solomon loved many strange women together with the daughter of Pharaoh, the women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Zidonites, and Hittites. For the nation concerning the Lord said unto the children of Israel, You should not go into them, neither shall they come into you. For surely they will turn, your, turn away your heart after the God and Sodom and clave unto these in love. Remember I said unto thee that Jesus said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. Solomon didn't. He started out. But then his heart was turned away by these many women. How many women did he have? In, in verse 3, and he had 700 wives. That's a, lot of, that's a lot of folks in the kitchen. That's a lot of cooks in the kitchen. Princes and 300 concubines. And his wives turned away his heart. For it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after the other gods. And his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God as was the heart of David his father. So Solomon went after Asheroth, the goddess of Zionites, and Milcom, the abominations of the Ammonites, and Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord, and went not fully after the Lord as did David his father. Verse 7, the Solomon built in a high place of Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and the hill that was before Jerusalem, and Molech, the abomination of the children of Ammon. He didn't just love these women. He started worshiping their gods. Sin is always a progression that goes down to destruction. And likewise did he for all the strange wives with burnt incense and sacrificed unto their God. In verse 9, the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned from the Lord God of Israel, which happened to be unto him twice. He commanded them concerning this thing, and he should not go after other gods, but he kept not that which the Lord commanded. Wherefore the Lord said unto Solomon, For as much as this is done of thee, and thou hast not kept my covenant, 
and my statues which I commanded thee, I will surely rend the kingdom from thee and will give it to thy servant. Notwithstanding, in the days I will not do it for David thy father's sake, but I will rend it out of the hand of thy son. Howbeit, I will not rend away all the kingdom, but will give it one tribe to thy, to thy son David for my servant's sake, and for the Jerusalem's sake shall I have chosen. Why am I saying this? Because at this time, it was a great, sad time in the history of Israel. The kingdom was divided. There's a saying that is true. United we stand, divided we so these northern tribes are under these all evil kings. If you read 1 Kings, end of 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles, you see all the kings of the northern tribes, every one of them are evil. Some worse than others. But eventually, because of this, the king, kingdom is divided. They are taken into captivity. Around 722 B.C., they're captured they're taken in, and, 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 and basically the people are taken in or, or, or go in and they capture these Israelites out of the land and, and bring them to their land. And the people from that land come into their land and it's just, it's horrible. The Assyrians, what they do. And about the same thing happens many, about 200 years later uh, for the Babylonians do that to Judah. But there's still a remnant, still a, a, a people who, who worship God and, and believed in God like it is in today in America. Though we could probably say most of us know that the, our country isn't how it was established spiritually or morally. But yet, thank God for the remnant who still believe in God. There was a remnant that still believed in God because God loved his people and had established an unconditional covenant with Abraham. Eventually, through Nehemiah and Ezra and others, they came back into the land. Because God said it would be so. Seventy years of captivity. They'd be ruled by the media Persians, by the Greeks, and ultimately by the Romans. 70 AD, as Jesus said, the temple would be destroyed by Titus. 135 AD, some of the Jews were still in the land. And a Roman general, Heradian, expels the Jews and calls the land Palestinia, Palestine, Palestine. Many years later, England grants land both to the Arabs and the Jews. And though the Arabs are given much more land, the Jewish begin to buy up the land that was already theirs by God's will. In 1947, the United States set up a, two, a true two-state solution between Israel and Arabs. And many people say, that's what they want. The Arabs want a two-state solution, and they had it. The problem is, folks, it's never enough for the Arabs. Ishmael wants more. It isn't the amount of land that Israel has. The Arabs totally want to destroy Israel. It's not about politics. It's about prophecy. 1948, Britain had allotted... 187,000 acres, uh, square, excuse me, uh, miles, square miles to the Arabs, and 422, I mean, I mean excuse me, acres, 187,000 acres to the Arabs and 4,200 acres to Israel. So the Arabs had much. Israel had small. Time of war, 1948, what happens? Arabs begin to flee. Because they flee, Israel begins to possess the land. Arabs that are in the land today are not the displaced Canaanites of old, but they're descendants of waves of invaders over the centuries. We know 
the Crusades happened. There was fighting over the land from the Muslims and Jews and Christians. 20% of the people in Israel today are Palestinian Arabs, one out of five. Hamas, as we heard about recently, was founded in, 18, in 1987 from the Muslim Brotherhood that took control of Gaza in 2006. The word Hamas actually means, means in Hebrew, zeal or violence. And it's hard to watch what happened the last, last week ago Saturday. It's hard to see the, 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 the photos and the pictures and the horror of people who are not just, how can you do the things that were done? War is always bad, but this was past war. It was barbaric and horrible. See, this is never going to be a political solution to this war until Jesus Christ comes back after the tribulation. This last week, U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken went, and I listened to his speech, and he said, Netanyahu was there, he said, as long as there is Israel, America will stand beside you. And I believe he meant it. But the reality is, it's not true. You see, what the Bible says in Zechariah chapter 14 and verse 1, Behold, the day, cometh, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather, listen to what it says, all nations against Jerusalem to battle. All nations. And thy city shall be taken, the houses rifle and the women ravished, and half the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. And his feet shall stand in that day on the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall he cleave in the midst before thereof towards the east and towards the west. And there shall be a very great valley. And half the mountain shall be moved towards the north and half it towards the south. This is Armageddon. So where else is that, preacher? Revelation chapter 19. Verse 11, I saw heaven open, behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. That's Jesus Christ. And in righteousness, he that judge and make war, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. You mean Jesus, who came and died for the sins of the world, that same Jesus is coming with eyes as flame of fire, and his head were many crowns, and he had a name written to them that no man knew but himself. He was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name called the Word of God. And the armies, who's the armies? Us. Usans. We are with him. The battle of Armageddon, which were in heaven, followed him on white horses. I hope you like horses. Clothed in fine linen, white and clean, and out of his mouth goes a sharp sword. And with it he should smite all nations, and he shall rule them with a rod and iron. And he tread the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty. This is, the, this is the, in the valley of Megiddo. This is, the, this is the battle of Armageddon. And all nations will surround Israel and try to destroy it. But just like I said, I said just as I began... We lose many battles in this world. But Jesus has the victory. The victory's already won. It's already prophesied it will be. No matter who says what, no matter what negotiations happen, no matter what Russia does or Iran does or China, Jesus wins. And we 
who are with him win as well. We win. Then after that thousand year rule and reign, Jesus Christ called the millennium. And things are going to be a whole lot different during that time. The end of the millennium, though, Satan will be loosed from the bottomless pit and raise a great army. But God will destroy the army and cast Satan to the lake of fire forever and ever. God will create a new heaven, a new earth, a new Jerusalem where we will dwell forevermore. This is the end of the drama that started when the angel, that wonderful, beautiful angel called Lucifer, rebelled in heaven against God. This is the end. This is the end when that disobedient first man named Adam who took a bite of that forbidden fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This is the end. Sin will be no more. This will all happen, dear friends, because God said it would. It's written in the word, and nothing can change it. It's written. God said it because Jesus Christ was willing to be obedient and die for the sins of not just some of the world, but for the whole world. He was willing to go to that cruel cross and shed his blood and to be buried and rise again the third day so that every person that's ever breathed breath, no matter who you are, no matter where you come from, can have everlasting life. Dear friend, don't let your heart be troubled. The things we see on the news are all part of the big picture of what's going to happen in the future. We said, what about me? Well, dear friend, as I said at the beginning, the decisions we make right now determine the direction of our life. What decisions are we making? You made a wise decision. You came to church this morning. But what other decisions are we going to make this afternoon and tomorrow and the next day? Every decision you make, there will be small or large. They ripple throughout eternity. What you do matters. I was reminded of that. Yesterday, at the wedding of my mother-in-law, Nancy, got remarried yesterday at a wedding in Kentucky, and Angie and I went up to the wedding, and Steve, her aunt's husband, preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ, got up and talked about the wedding and gave scriptures about the wedding. At the end of all he said, He said, all this is possible because of one man, her grandfather, George Fox, from Alberta, Canada, moved down to California. And from California, he believed God wanted him to be in the hills of Kentucky. And God called him there. And he started a mission, Bear Track Bible Camp Mission. And because he obeyed God, Those two were there yesterday. And because he obeyed God, I got to meet her. And we got to have two children. And because of that, I'm here today. All because what one man did many years ago, he obeyed God. And the ripple of that obedience affects all of us here today. You say, preacher, one decision I make doesn't matter. Adam, Abraham, Jesus, 
one decision you make can change your entire destiny. If you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, dear friend. It's just one decision. Your one decision. If you're without Christ, you're headed to destruction. You're on the pathway to, to hell, which was never created for man but for the devil and his angels. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Just one decision away from, de from damnation to eternal bliss. One decision. If you're here today and you know Christ is, Christ is your Savior, but you're wondering, should I live for him? Brother Pete was talking about in Sunday school the decision that Moses made to forsake the riches of Egypt. For something that's bigger than that. In, in life, you're going to have to make decisions. Money or God? Mammon or God? You're going to have to make decisions. Sometimes family or God. Abraham, go into my handmaid, Hagar, and have a child with her. No, Sarai. I love you. I would do anything in the world for you. But I'm not going to disobey God. How different things would be if he'd have said no that day. You say, my decisions matter? Every one of them. For the Bible says in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall also reap. For he that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall the Spirit reap everlasting, life everlasting. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. For those of you who are faithful serving, the God, serving God, keep on being faithful. Sow unto righteousness and you will receive righteousness. Oh, dear friend, but if you're going down the path and you're sowing to the flesh, know it. As sure as you're sitting there, as sure as this is the word of God, as sure as you're hearing my voice, you shall reap corruption. It has been that way since the beginning of time, and it will end that way today. What you sow, you shall reap. God said it. And whether you believe it or not, it's still going to happen. But I hope you believe it. I hope you know Christ is your Savior. And I hope by the grace of God, you're choosing every day to live for him. Oh, gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your mercy and your grace. And we see prophecy before our very eyes. Ishmael and Isaac fighting in your land. Oh, God, help us in this land where we are to make right decisions. Every day we make hundreds of decisions, consciously or unconsciously. We make them. God, help us to make right decisions. Help us, Lord Jesus, to know you first. And secondly, to follow you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our might. With head bowed, eyes closed, maybe there's someone in this room who say, Preacher, I've gone to church. Maybe I ain't baptized, but I don't know you. There's never been a time in my life where I personally placed my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I've never done that. 
and I want to today. With all my heart, I want to trust in Christ and know for sure that when I die, I'll go to heaven. Dear friend, I promise you, I would never embarrass you, but I'd love to pray for you. There's anyone in this room say, Preacher, I'm not a Christian, but I'd like to be. I'm not saved. I don't maybe understand it, but I'd like to know when I die, I'll go to heaven. Would you pray for me? Anybody like that at all? Anybody at all? Anybody at all? If you're here and maybe too embarrassed to raise your hand, please, friend, please come see me. Call me. I would love to talk to you.